Hello, and welcome back to Argus's Way to Freight podcast series. I'm Argus Freight reporter Michael Connolly, and today I'm joined by Carlos Balestra Di Matola, CFO of Diomico Tankers, to discuss how the ongoing Russia-Ukraine conflict has affected the global clean tanker market. Thank you for speaking with me today, Carlos. And now before we get to the broader market, I had a question about your company in particular. Since the conflict escalated in late February, how has your policy changed towards transporting Russian cargoes? Michael, we, we took a very prudent approach in this respect. Uh, first of all, I think it's important that goes without saying, but we strongly wish uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine will terminate soonest. Um, but our, our policy, as, as I was mentioning, was very prudent. We, we are not calling uh, a Russian ports. We are not transporting Russian cargoes. At the time the conflict started, we had one vessel which was in a Russian port in Tuapse, uh, but it has already departed and fully completed discharge of cargo. And uh, on the vessels we chartered out, uh, we have uh, various sanction clauses that ensures that charters comply with uh, sanctions, uh, US, EU, and, and UN sanctions. Um, and um, we are strongly requesting our charters uh, not to trade in and out of Russia. Um, and so far, the response was uh, positive in this respect, uh, and all of them also don't want to trade um, uh, coal Russian ports, uh, with the exception of one charterer, um, which uh, to- informed us that he, that he might do so. Um, and uh, the charter party clauses in in that particular contract would allow him to do so. So it's a vessel that we have time chartered in and it's time chartered out. So it's not a known vessel, but um, of course, uh, it depends where in Russia, but if he can uh, obtain uh, adequate insurance, uh, he might be able to, to call Russian ports. Um, I'm also quite glad we don't have any receivables today from Russian companies. What initial impact have you seen from the Russia-Ukraine conflict in terms of alterations to global clean tanker trade flows? Uh, it, it is uh, Russia is a very important player in terms of uh, exports of refined products. Uh, in 2021, uh, Russia exported on average 2.7 million barrels per day of refined products. Uh, around 1.7 million of clean and uh, 1 million uh, of dirty products. Of the clean products, the the main one is uh, the main export is diesel, and uh, um, of which it exported around 600,000 barrels per day on average in 2021. And if we look only at December, Europe and UK accounted for 72 percent of Russia's refined product exports, uh, December 21, that is. Um, and uh, there are estimates today from conversations we have we had with traders, uh, other players in the market, that around 1 million barrels per day of refined products are not making it to the market. So that that, that is quite a steep drop. Um, uh, um, and... Um, uh, it is linked, of course, to the sanctions, the official sanctions that uh, the U.S. has imposed, Canada has imposed, uh, the U.K. with a longer phase in and Australia have imposed. But it is, it's also 
to a large extent due to self-sanctioning by private companies, um, including important oil majors and trading companies. And, you know, I mentioned previously that uh, most of our charters also don't want to call Russian ports. So uh, that is having a big impact and it is expected to, to continue having a big impact in the market. And um, uh, what we are seeing is that the market, uh, since uh, Russia was an important exporter of diesel, in particular to Europe, is very tight diesel. Um, and we have seen um, quite a big surge in demand for vessels sailing to Europe from Asia. So on, uh, most of these trades are on, on LRs uh, transporting diesel, but we also seeing uh, a surge in demand for exports out of the U.S. of diesel to Europe. So uh, these through trade routes uh, have uh, uh, are now uh, transporting uh, much higher volumes than, than previously. Uh, and this is a trend that we expect to continue and to strengthen uh, over the coming months if the f conflict and uh, the self-sanctioning were to persist. Um, of course, then there are also uh, uh, new trades that might open up for, for Russia. Um, and um, it is expected that Russia will export more refined products to Latin America and that it will export more crude uh, to Asia and in particular to China. So there will be a reshuffling of trades uh, of products. So uh, some of the products probably that the, U the U.S. was exporting to Latin America are now going to be exported to Europe and they are going to be replaced uh, by more refined products being exported from Russia to Latin America. So this, this will create uh, longer, uh, longer trades, uh, be very positive for the ton miles for the vessels. Um, and even probably more attractive triangulation opportunities for, for our ships. So, so in this respect, uh, uh, that, that, um, that, that could be some uh, positive developments uh, for the employment of our vessels. Clean tanker rates have risen globally since the conflict escalated in late February. Do you see this rise as mainly conflict-driven, or are there other fundamental factors in, in the increases? Well, the, 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 the rise in, uh, in, in, in the freight rates, which was uh, quite sharp uh, over the last few weeks, is definitely mostly driven by the conflict. Uh, however, um, uh, there were already some uh, strong fundamentals which were contributing to an improving market uh, during the last part of 2021, and we did see in December a rally in freight rates, which uh, was quite promising and uh, which we did not see in 2020. Um, and so the expectation was for uh, a market which was going to continue to improve throughout 2022 uh, and uh, a, a stronger uh, and possibly quite profitable second half of the year. Um, uh, of course, the, the conflict uh, changed this in quite a dramatic fashion, um, and, um, and, uh, but the underlying fundamentals are there because, you know, if you look at uh, oil consumption 
last year uh, there was quite a sharp increase of uh, 5.6 million barrels per day um, and we ended the year uh, with oil consumption which, which was already pretty much aligned to pre-COVID levels. Uh, refining throughputs uh, also expanded uh, quite a lot last year but less than consumption. Um, However, in 2022, uh, refining runs were expected to expand by almost 4 million barrels per day, 3.8 by uh, the International Energy Agency. Uh, and, and so they were supposed to end the year one, around 1 million barrels per day above pre-COVID levels. Uh, on the supply side, also, um, things looked quite good, uh, and they still do so. Uh, the, the order book uh, as a percentage of the fleet was the lowest since 20 years. In the segments we operate in, it was of uh, around only 3.8% in that way, to, in that way terms. Uh, that is in the handy MRs and LA1 segments. Um, and there were also very strong incentives to demolish vessels, and we did see a surge in uh, demolitions uh, last year. Um, because of the very high steel prices. And, of course, also a low incentive to order, um, given the, the very steep increase in new building prices uh, that we experienced of around 15% last, uh, last year. So, yes, the, the fundamentals were, uh, were very strong uh, before the conflict started, both on the supply and on the demand side. Uh, the supply was expected to expand by just over 1% this year, and 1% next year, and demand was expected to uh, outpace this by, by, by quite a big margin. Um, so, yeah, the, 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 the conflict um, uh, changed this quite dramatically. Um, uh, the, 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 the big increase in oil prices is, of course, a source of concern uh, going forward. Um, uh, it, it, it will affect uh, consumption of oil to a certain extent. Um, and um, but as we mentioned, there are the ton miles effects, which uh, which we already you know, talked about, which are quite significant, which could be. Uh, play a bigger role than uh, than the potential loss in volumes uh, consumed and transported uh, because of this uh, uh, this sharp increase in the oil price uh, and the potential lower availability of oil um, in the market. Assuming the conflict and sanctions on Russia persist, do you think that the recent rate gains will be sustained or will there be a retrace? Yeah, uh, it, it's it's a very good question. Uh, it's a difficult one to answer. Uh, uh, Russia is, is not only an, an important exporter of uh, refined products; it's also an important uh, exporter of uh, of crude. Uh, it's, it, if we look at average figures for 2021, it exported around 4.5 million barrels per day uh, of crude on average, in addition to the 2.7 million of refined products. Um, and uh, our estimates is that around 
1.5 million barrels per day of crude and 1 million barrels per day of refined products are not making it to the market now uh, because of the official uh, sanctions and the self-sanctioning that we mentioned. Um, an agreement with Iran could free up some additional barrels. Um, the country today is, uh, is exporting only around 0.6 million barrels per day. Uh, and in 2017, uh, before the sanctions, it was exporting 2.4 million barrels per day. Um, th there are some positive signs in this respect um, uh, that an agreement could be quite close. Uh, in particular, Iran uh, recently sent 24 of its tankers, uh, which have been idle for a long time, to dry dock. So th that is a that is a good sign. Um, if they are making this investment to uh, for to undergo special surveys for these vessels, um, uh, it, it is because the, there is an expectation on their part that they will be able to to use them quite soon to to export refined pro to export crude oil and um, and refined products um, and um, and it's also true that Iran is sitting on very high oil inventories uh, estimated at around 80 million barrels so those can come to the market to the market potentially quite fast uh, and help alleviate the, the, the market tightness that we are currently experiencing. There's also, in my opinion, a lower possibility that some Venezuelan oil might, uh, might come back to the market. Uh, there are also there uh, ongoing conversations. Uh, uh, PDVSA uh, is currently producing only around 800,000 barrels per day. And before the sanctions, it used to produce around 2.2, 2.0 to 2.5 million barrels per day. So, but there, the, the production of the capa capacity of the country has been uh, uh, significantly damaged uh, over the last few years because of underinvestment. So it is unlikely that even if the, an agreement were to be reached with Venezuela, they would be able to ramp up uh, production um, at a uh, fast. It would take them time and maybe only 100,000 to 200,000 barrels per day incremental production uh, could be exported um, in a relatively short time. So that should not be a game changer. Of course, OPEC has some uh, spare production capacity, which they uh, slowly bringing back to, to the market. Uh, and there is a lot of pressure from the US, but also from the UK to, um, for them to, to bring this, uh, this production back to the market sooner. Um, uh, and that could, could of course also be uh, quite helpful. And then uh, there is the, the very important uh, um, swing uh, uh, producer today, which is the, the shale oil, um, and um, uh, it has the advantage, which has a very short cycle um, from drilling to, to production of around six months. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the 
uh, of the listed companies um, in the U.S. seem to be to be today uh, much more concerned with uh, cash generation and distribution of cash to to their shareholders than with uh, growth and investments. But it is also true that if you look at the drilling rigs in operation today, uh, uh, the, the, the the portion which is uh, accounted for by private companies has risen significantly since the the COVID outbreak, and it it's now of around 50%. It used to be of 30%. And so th- these players should be the ones pushing forward with uh, with an increase in production. And uh, I think there is a very good chance that we might be positively surprised in this respect because the, at these very high oil prices, the incentives are definitely there to produce more. And uh, if we look at the latest figures, uh, three-month moving average, they point to a year-on-year increase of almost 1.3 million barrels per day uh, in uh, shale oil production. So. Uh, and that is well above uh, what was expected. Um, so um, I think there could be a further acceleration, and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, over the next two years we could uh, shale, shale oil added around 3 million barrels per day in production. Um, so it will depend a lot on whether this Russian oil will find buyers eventually. If, if, if they do find buyers, um, in Asia, uh, in India, and probably most likely also in China, um, then the, um, we could uh, be in a situation where these uh, uh, other sources of uh, oil supply we mentioned um, could uh, compensate for uh, the negative effects of uh, self-sanctioning uh, by, the, by Europe and in the U.S. in particular. Um, and in my opinion, the, the U.S. government now has an opportunity to really um, uh, sustain its uh, shale oil, uh, support its uh, U.S. Uh, its shale oil industry. Um, and um, it was a bit lukewarm towards the, the industry um, in the beginning uh, of this administration. But uh, there are different priorities now. Of course, the energy transition uh, is important for them uh, still. But in the meantime, uh, we need to make sure that we um, have enough oil at uh, at uh, at a reasonable price, and uh, this will will be an important factor also uh, in the uh, midterm elections that uh, in the U.S. most likely. So the, there's a very strong incentive for the U.S. government to find a solution for this. And um, if if they were uh, to guarantee, for example, a minimum price to to the U.S. Uh, shale oil producers, uh, that that could be actually quite an effective way of encouraging them to produce more oil. Um, there were a lot of uh, uh, concerns in the past of investing. And then by when production comes to the market, uh, prices have fallen and um, and uh, these companies ended up being over indebted um, and, uh, and loss making. So if, if there were such a guarantee by the U.S. government that they would backstop them by taking, um, uh, you know, the excess barrels, uh, guaranteeing a minimum price, 
uh, that could be could stimulate production uh, and they wouldn't have any excuse not to invest. So that 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 could be a potential solution. How has the increase in bunker prices impacted the operation of your fleet? It hasn't much uh, because in a tight markets, we uh, we are generally able to pass these costs on to the charterer. So uh, charter rates have increased by more than bunker prices, fortunately. My final question now, moving away from the conflict toward regulation, what is DMECO doing to prepare for the upcoming IMO 2023 regulations? Well, a lot of um, a lot of different initiatives. Um, the the IMO 23 regulations will uh, uh, will be very significant for our sector, but also uh, the European Emissions Trading Scheme, uh, which will come into force in 2023. Um, and uh, so, coupled with the very high oil prices, banker prices that we are currently experiencing uh, and that we are likely to continue experiencing for some time in the uh, in the near future. Uh, there are very strong incentives to uh, find ways of reducing emissions and reducing fuel consumption. Um, and so, well, first of all, I mean, our, you know, our main initiative in, in the recent past was that of uh, modernizing our fleet. And so we, we now uh, have over 80 percent of our fleet, which is eco design. Um, uh, and uh, uh, but we don't stop there. We are also looking to install um, propeller bus cap fins on our vessels. Uh, we are looking at the possibility of installing uh, fuel injection valves, uh, low friction paint, uh, new technology called EcoTorque, uh, which regulates the uh, the engine power to reduce fluctuations and uh, um, um, generate uh, savings in uh, in fuel consumption. Uh, initiatives such as uh, health performance monitoring. Um, optimal routing and, and, and just in time. And uh, we have also uh, adopted uh, and tested on our vessels uh, biofuels on LR1. So uh, now they are all certified to, to burn uh, biofuels. So that is something also that we are going to be exploring further in the future. Okay, that's all for this week's edition of Argus's Way to Freight. Uh, thank you again, Carlos, for speaking with me. Thank you, Michael. Until next time.